Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for joining us in this powerful series that we are in the middle of. I'm calling it Roadmap to Reformation and uh, we have been for weeks teaching from Ezra, Nehemiah, the books of restoration, the people of God returning from exile and back into their homeland. You know, many of the prophecies that I think people are taking out of context from uh, Ezekiel and, uh, you know, different places in the Scripture talking about a return of Israel to their homeland actually found its fulfillment in Ezra and Nehemiah they were returning from Babylonian captivity and God was fulfilling the word of the Lord by these prophets that they would come back into their land. And so they were fulfilled in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. I think sometimes uh, scriptures and, and verses taking out of context can really mess us up, especially when we're trying to take something that was spoken to one audience and make it applicable to us especially when you're trying to interpret it with natural type of a interpretation. Now, what we've been doing in this series from Ezra and Nehemiah, we've been looking at chapter 2 for some time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has come into the city commissioned by the king to inspect the condition of the city. He finds the walls broken down, the gates burned with fire, the temple destroyed, and the city destroyed, and he is on a mission to bring about a restoration and a reformation. He comes in here in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, and this is what happens. He's moving counterclockwise as he comes into Jerusalem to see the condition of the city. And I'm going to pick up in verse 11, and I'm not going to try to do too much review because we are, uh, I want to cover some ground here. Verse 11 said, So I came to Jerusalem, was there three days. And I arose in the night, and some few men with me. So he's going to talk about the condition of the city in the night season. And uh, when he started, there wasn't a whole lot of people with him, some few men with him. There are times when I feel like there are not many with us. Uh, you know, especially when you start talking about restoration and reformation, and it seems like you're swimming against the tide when everybody else is thinking the wall, uh, the sky is falling. Uh, I, I, I don't believe the sky is falling. I don't believe we're in a last day revival. I believe we're in a new day reformation. I believe that God is the victor. I, I believe Jesus is already Lord. And I believe that when we wake up some folks to join us, to arise and build that at some point all of these failed prophecies that people have given concerning our days, I think people are going to start to say, wait a minute, whoa, you've missed it way too many times, and it did not pan out. And so uh, let's just, uh, you know, let's just pump the brakes here, and maybe there's another way to look at this. And I think we're going to begin to see that not just a remnant will return, but people are going to begin to turn and say, listen, maybe it's time that we stop crying the sky has fallen and start waking up and say, what can we do to change our circumstances? What can I do to change my home, my community, my life, my government, my city, 
my world. Let's arise and build. That's what he begins to say. So he comes and he's there for three days, which I shared in the last segment, that the three days and three nights, when I think about that, uh, always reminds me of the three days and three nights of the work of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. And so I'm putting an emphasis on this roadmap to Reformation as being a picture of the Reformation that happens by the work of the cross. When we return to a revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ, it moves us out of Babylon. I'm not going to take a long time to review because I've said this over and over in prior programs. Babylon speaks of Old Covenant Jerusalem, especially just without being Old Covenant Jerusalem or taking a whole lot of time to qualify that again. That's already in prior segments. Let's just for sake of this segment say it is a return moving from Old Covenant Mount Sinai to moving to the New Covenant Mount Zion to the city of the living God. Hebrews 12 said you did not come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says, stay away. If you touch the edge of the mountain, you'll be thrust through with a dart. He says in Hebrews 12, though, but you are come. You are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. I believe the redeemed of the Lord are returning and coming with singing, not to a physical location, but they're coming to New Covenant Jerusalem. They're coming to New Covenant Zion. They're moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And what catapults us there is the three days and three nights of the work of Jesus Christ and a revelation of His finished work. I, 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 I just pray that the spirit of revelation will dawn on some folks that are listening to me to realize we're not marching to Zion. Hebrews 12 said, for you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to a feastal gathering of angels. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a better company. You've come to the blood of sprinkling. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. You have already come to the spirits of just men made perfect. You've already come there. That's the new covenant. And we should uh, return to the foundational principles, I believe, that God wants to bring us back to. And that's a foundation of the chief cornerstone that Zechariah said that that cornerstone and the capstone would be laid by shouting grace, grace to it. Zechariah was a contemporary with these people and he was prophesying to the, he was dealing with this group of people right here that were returning to their city and to their uh, temple. And he said that the capstone and the cornerstone would be laid with shouts of grace, grace. We know that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. There's a return to a revelation of Jesus. And we find in John's gospel that he said, Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And of his fullness have all we received. And watch this, and grace for grace. So Jesus, who was the capstone, was announced by saying, Moses gave you the law, but Jesus gave you his fullness and his grace for grace. It's a shouting of grace grace to it that begins. I believe that this roadmap to Reformation has to lead through the gospel of grace. It has to lead to a new covenant understanding and paradigm. So he said, I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night and some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof that were consumed with fire. 
Then I went on to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Now the last segment I talked about in the end of the program, I've already talked about the valley gate, that the valley gate was in the valley of Hinnom. It was a place of broken pottery, the place of broken vessels. God told Jeremiah when he prophesied concerning this captivity to go by the potter's field because one day they were going to come back into this land and God would take that potter's field. He's the great potter. He will take the broken pieces of pottery and make their lives all over again. I believe Jesus is the hand of a great potter who can take your life when it's broken. As we study this roadmap to Reformation, the first thing He does is restores broken vessels, broken people, broken relationships. And He passes by the valley gate. We've already dealt with the valley gate. I'm not going to deal with it much. We came then by the dragon well. The dragon well was, legend has it, the place where the head of a dragon was cut off. We know that in Colossians 2, the Scripture said that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. Uh, The Amplified Bible said He disarmed principalities and powers. He took the weapon out of the hand of the enemy. The weapon He took from the enemy in Colossians 2 in context was the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. Touch not, taste not, handle not. The weapon He takes from the enemy is the law. In this roadmap to Reformation, we're going to have to stop putting the weapon back in the hand of the enemy. Preachers every week empower the adversary by putting the weapon of the law back in his hand And the weapon of the law is the weapon then He uses against us that is condemnation through an antiquated law. But Isaiah said, no weapon formed against you can prosper, and any tongue that rises up against you in judgment or condemnation you will utterly condemn because your righteousness is of me, saith the Lord of hosts. When you realize that your righteousness is not based on your performance, it's based on the gift of God. He that knew no sin was made to be sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God. Uh, And because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, I think sometimes what we do, I wonder sometimes who these guys work for that get in pulpits every week and put the enemy's weapon right back in his hand, and then wonder why the people aren't full of faith. The Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that the law is not of faith, and the law shuts up faith. The more you preach the law, the less faith people are going to have, the less they will believe. But when you preach grace and favor, people start to return back to an understanding of faith, and faith begins to rise up, and I believe it releases the miraculous in our midst. I think one of the biggest things that people war with when they need a healing or they need anything from the Lord, as they have a hard time believing God can do it because the enemy comes and tells them what the last foul thing they ever did was and puts condemnation on them and shuts up their faith not to believe God. But I'm telling you, the handwriting of ordinance that was against us has been nailed to the cross. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He paraded the enemy down the street as a uh, literally defeated foe. And all the enemy has is a mouth, 
All he has is a flood that can come out of the dragon's mouth. And I would say stop yielding your tongue as an as a instrument of unrighteousness that preaches a message that puts the enemy right back puts the weapon right back in the enemy's hand. He said, don't let any man judge you in respect to eat, drink, new moon, Sabbath day. He talks about touch not, taste not, handle not. Don't put those weapons back into the hand of the enemy. Come on to the dragon well and realize the head of the dragon has been cut off. I sometimes wonder if some churches could even have church if they didn't have the devil. You say, what do you mean, Dr. House? Well, all I mean is they talk about the devil more than they talk about God. Uh, you know, they think the devil's fighting them, uh, you know, with everything. You know, well, I had a flat tire on the church. The devil really fighting me. Boy, you know, the devil, you know, I, I always tell this, probably shouldn't, but I tell this story about, you know, when I was growing up, we'd come to church, and there was a guy in our church who played guitar, and he was always late for church, and his guitar would be out of tune, and he's, you know, trying to tune that guitar, and you, you, it ain't nothing to kill a service more than somebody got there late trying to tune a guitar. Then they'd ask him to sing, and he'd say, he, you'd have to beg him to sing, you know, well, come on, uh, brother, and sing for us. And he'd, ah, man, the devil been fighting me all day. My throat's sore, and my guitar's out of tune, and I devil don't want me to sing, but I'm going to sing anyway. I'm going to give the devil a black eye. And so, you know, then uh, he'd get up to sing, and he'd start tuning the guitar, and he'd break a string, and then he'd break a second string. But he's going to give the devil a black eye. He said, the devil don't want me to sing tonight. Uh, but I'm going to sing anyway and give him a black eye. And I'm just a teenager sitting in the back, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm with the devil on this one. I've heard you sing before, and I don't think you're going to be a blessing anyway. <laughs> I know that's funny, but I was a teenager, and that was kind of some stuff that would go through my mind. But see, the devil wasn't involved at all in that service. It was because that brother did not practice. He did not tune his guitar. It wasn't a devil. We get people to give in offerings to give the devil a black eye. We get them motivated by saying, boy, you're going you're gonna to stomp on the devil if you do this. Listen, we need to forget about what the devil thinks about my giving and start to bring my giving as an offering unto the Lord instead of trying to aggravate or, or, or make some devil mad. In other words, we use the devil to motivate people. We think we're going to have a good service because the devil fought us. We think, and, and, and I think that's wrong thinking. I think we are too devil conscience. And a whole lot of the problems we have is not the devil. It's our own stinking thinking and our own carnal mind. And we need to come to the dragon well and realize the head of a dragon has been cut off. The next thing they did was they came to the dung port. Now, the dung port was literally outhouse row. He's coming counterclockwise. So he's come through the valley gate, through the, 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 the valley of the shadow of death. He's come through, and I shared uh, about that already. We've come to the place where we're realizing the dragon well, the enemy's been defeated, and now we're going to come to the dung port. The dung port was outhouse row. It's where all the refuge of... Uh, of the city was literally dumped. It was, if you will, outhouse row. But one of the things that really uh, I want to share with you in, in this segment, and probably even at least in the next one, is in Zechariah 3. Now, once again, remember, Zechariah is a contemporary with these guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai. All these guys are working together. They're in the same situation at the same time, and they're trying to bring about the Reformation. But in Zechariah 3, it said, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee. 
O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was, was clothed, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel of the Lord. Now I want you to understand that this word filthy garments, this is the, the Hebrew word excrement. So Joshua has a filthy garment, excrement, and stood before the angel, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let him set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre on his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now let me just say, first of all, the fair mitre to me says you need to get rid of your stinking thinking, if that's all right, if that's a good way to say it. Just what I said a moment ago. You need to get rid of your stinking thinking, your carnal reasoning, and sometimes there's some stuff that you think is spiritual that's legalistic that is actually stinking thinking, and God wants to put a fair mitre on our heads. And clothed, with, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord uh, protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my church, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before me, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Capitals are all, the word branch here is all letters are capitalized. My servant, the branch, pointing to a greater fulfillment of Jesus, our high priest. For behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua, one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, you shall call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Now I want you to see that Joshua comes in and he's got a filthy garment. Now we're talking about the dung gate here. Now the dung, I want to get into this because we could talk about the byproducts of our flesh and we'll probably get to a lot of different views of this. But I'm after something here that I think is really important. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, and this is chapter 3, Verse number 8, he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the ex excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. Now, if you go back to Philippians 3, here's the context. Paul said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was out of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Watch this. And as touching the law, I was blameless. Paul was blameless as touching the law. He's talking about his religious credentials here. And he says to them in chapter 3, verse 8, I count it all as dung. I believe that one of the things that has to happen in the roadmap to Reformation is once again we must move away from this, this uh, mindset that we are trying to find our righteousness on the basis of a law. Paul goes on to say, I count it all as dung that I might be found 
I count it all as dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness that's through the faith of Jesus Christ. Listen, I believe the filthy garment that, uh, that, uh, that Joshua the high priest had in Zechariah that God wanted to change was He wanted us to get rid of some things in the ministry. See, he was the high priest. Joshua was the high priest in that day. And he had filthy garments on, and he changed his garment and, became, and put on a miter. Uh, I believe it's talking about a helmet of salvation. I believe it's an understanding that I'm saved, and I'm saved on the basis of the work of Jesus. You can't get me to back down from that. My salvation is not volatile. He, uh, he, uh, it's once for all. And I believe that the reality of it, what he's saying is, is listen, man, we're going to have to, as ministers and priests of the Lord, get rid of the filthy garments. We're going to have to get rid of the performance-based mentalities that wrap us up. What Paul calls dung here, what Paul calls dung here is his credentials in Judaism. He said, I counted, the Greek word here is skobolin. It's excrement. The Hebrew word for the filthy garments that Zechariah had was also called, uh, it, was the, it was a Hebrew word for excrement. But the word skobolim is what Paul calls it here, that he had to throw away this filthy garment and get rid of all of this performance-based, I'm telling you the roadmap to Reformation is going to lead through even the Dungate. There's a lot, I'm just going to say it like this, we're going to have to get rid of a lot of crap that's in religious circles. There's a lot of crap in the game. And I don't know any other better way to say that. There's a lot of dung, if you want me to say dung or whatever. But there's a lot, and there's a gate just designed for this. But this Ezra who comes through, who is a, once again a picture of the Holy Spirit, because Ezra's name means my helper, Nehemiah's name means the comforter. The work of the Holy Spirit in this hour is trying to convict and convince us, according to John's Gospel, of righteousness and uh, uh, he's it's trying to, the, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer is to convince and convict me of righteousness. We must change these filthy garments and put them off so that we can win Christ and be found in Him, not having our own righteousness, which is a product of the law. And so, you know, the soiled garment that was upon uh, Zechariah in that day was uh, the excrement. And so, I, I, once again, I, I believe the Lord's calling ministry. I, I really believe that somewhere, that there are God, not, not somewhere, I see it happening every day, and uh, especially around ministry that we're around. God is raising up a whole new breed of priesthood. God is raising up a whole new breed of preacher. They've got the guts to preach the truth. I, I, to me, it is so sad and even frustrating that I've got a cat dance around the truth because it offends people. And people leave the church because, it, and not because you're telling them bad news, but because you're, it's amazing to me they get mad about the good news. It's like Joshua and Caleb in the promised land. You come and say, hey, I'm not putting my focus on how big the enemy is. I'm not putting my focus on how thick the walled cities are. I'm not going to tell you how big the giants are over. That's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the fruit of that land. And those two men, Joshua and Caleb, come back with a good report, a good report, good news. And they want to stone the two guys that are bringing the good news. 
They want to stone the guys bringing the good news and celebrate the people bringing the bad news. Listen, this is 41 years of full-time traveling ministry for me, and it has been a journey of pioneering a message before it ever got popular. I was preaching grace before it got cool, so to speak. I was preaching the kingdom before kingdom was cool. And I got to tell you, man, I've almost had to readjust even my own thinking because we were hated for so long for preaching good news that I find it difficult sometimes to be celebrated. I almost don't know what to do when people celebrate me because it's been such a pioneering thing to fight our way through some of this, to be able to say, listen, it's time to change the filthy garments. It's time to put on a fair mitre. It's time to put on a helmet of salvation. It's time to put on a robe of righteousness. It's time because there's another priest that's come on the scene after the order of Melchizedek, and his name is the man whose name is called the branch. Isn't it amazing that when we get over here that this man whose name is called the branch, Joshua says, you know, uh, that uh, he said, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon the stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity from the land. And one day God is removing it because of the work of the man whose name is called the branch. He's the one who did the work to take away the iniquity. And so you know, let me just say this, and we will get into this probably in the next segment because I'm, I'm, I'm just about ready to run out of time. But the, the, I, I, the, 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 the scabolum, the religious excrement, the crap, first of all is dealing with religious stuff. But secondly, and I don't want to leave this out either, because there's some There's some iniquity and stuff I believe that God is getting out of our lives as well. There's a dung gate for that. It's to get rid of all the stink and all the mess and all the byproducts of your flesh and all your stinking thinking and all the stuff you've been connected to in your past and try time to get connected to the man whose name is called the branch. And so don't make any mistake about it. I believe, see, let me just say this. I believe in understanding that you're the righteousness of God, that a true understanding of your new identity and who you are and the change of your garments and the change of your thinking will produce a lifestyle that gets rid of a lot of mess in your life. You have created a lot of mess in your life, but there's a dung gate. I think about this word where where, uh, uh, Nehemiah said, when I came into the city, there was no body with me except a beast I rode in on. And while we could talk about the beast from a lot of perspectives, Paul says this in Colossians, kill, deaden, and deprive of power the animal impulses lurking in your members. But when he comes to the king's fountain, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. Let me tell you this, when you come to the fountain of the king, there's no place for the beast that killed, deaden, and deprive of power the animal impulses they're lurking in your members. There's no place for the beast that's under you when you come to the king's fountain. We're out of time. Join us again next week as we join again on this. If you'd like to sow into the ministry and give, call the number on the screen. Go to our website. It's the easiest way to do it. There's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You can also set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. We do need your help. 
You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen for your tax-deductible gift, and we really appreciate your help. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.